Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad that you've come to study the Bible with us today, and that's all we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is try to answer Bible questions as quickly as we can. Uh, we get all those questions from our viewers. In case you're a first-time viewer and wonder what this program is, Know Your Bible, what's that about? It's a program to help you know your Bible, so pretty good name, actually. <laughs> There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen that you can use any time to get in touch with us. <clears throat> Just tell us what you'd like us to talk about. We get a lot of uh, specific questions. What's this mean? What's this verse mean? Uh, where is something in the Bible? get a lot of general questions about doctrines and uh, what the Bible says about some topic. get a lot of life questions about uh, this is happening in my life or my family or with my work or the newspapers. Or what's the Bible say about that? So those are the things we deal with on this program. Uh, give us your question. You direct the program. Use that phone number and website. Uh, Toby Levering's back with us today. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to try to answer a few of your questions today, but you always get yours first. So here's the viewer question of the day. Uh, who wrote more of the Bible, Moses or Paul? Got a 50-50 chance if you just guess on this one. So Moses or Paul, who wrote the most of the Bible? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Toby, looks like you drew number one. So I did. get us going. Yeah, if you were asked this question, the Bible is written with parables. What was the sin that Adam and Eve committed? Was it truly an apple? All right, we have lots of questions there. Let's start with uh, your question about, or your, your statement, rather, that the Bible is written with parables. That's true. There are parables in the Bible. Now, what you should also know is that the, the entire Bible is not a parable. There are different genres of uh, writing, of literature, in the pages of Scripture. There are, there are books of history, there are books of law, there are books of poetry, and so forth. So, uh, the entire Bible is not a parable. Uh, there are some parts of the Bible that were written as a historical account and uh, there are some parts, as you say, that are a parable. And a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So um, Luke wrote the book of Acts to be an orderly account of the record of the early church uh, written to Theophilus. And he wrote that to give a very ordered account with lots of detail and accuracy and historical uh, precision and so forth. Uh, so when you talk about the Bible, you need to understand there's a multitude <laughs> of types of writing in there, all divinely inspired by the Spirit, but uh, the, the account in Genesis is not a parable. Uh, then you ask the question, what was the sin that Adam and Eve committed? And their sin was disobedience. Uh, they, God had set up this perfect world. Uh, literally utopia. It was perfection because everything that God had created was good. 
And uh, he had said, in fact, and if you read Genesis chapter 2, he said, The Lord God, this is verse 16, uh, 15, 16, the Lord took, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge and of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God did not put a ultra restrictive, uh, a set of rules, they had complete freedom to eat from uh, Adam at that point, had complete freedom uh, to eat of any tree in the garden except one, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, uh, so the sin that they committed, which is in Genesis chapter 3, is because they did exactly what God told them not to do. Uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She was also she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Okay, so that's sin. That's the very definition of sin is a disobedience to God's will. And we know what God's will was just a few verses back in Genesis two sixteen, and and by chapter three verse six, uh, they've already disobeyed. So that's the sin. And you say, well, what is the problem? I mean, it's just a piece of fruit, for goodness sake. I mean, why in the world? Well, I, you know, uh, let's get to the third part of your question is, was it truly an apple? Well, the Bible never says it was an apple. Uh, you see a lot of paintings with, people, with Adam and Eve partaking of this fruit that looks like an apple. But when you look at the pages of Scripture, it never says what the fruit was. It never says that it was an apple could have been a, a peach. It could have been any number of things. I personally would find probably a peach more tempting than an apple, but everybody's tastes are different. So uh, the Bible never says what the fruit was, but we can assure that the Genesis, as it was written, was not written in a parable form. It was written uh, to help us understand that Adam and Eve's disobedience led to sin. Sin entered the world, and so death entered the world. So hope that answers all of your questions. It was not a parable, uh, but the Bible never tells us exactly what the fruit is. All righty. I personally think since it was a one-of-a-kind tree, it was a one-of-a-kind fruit that we've got no idea what it was. Could be. Don't think it was an apple or a peach or Anything, anything we'd recognize. You may be right. <laughs> but I think it looked really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question here. If you're having health problems, housing problems, etc., <clears throat> is this God's will or is it being caused by the devil? Well, okay. That's, uh, obviously, I can't answer uh, specifically because I don't know your situation or what all's happening. Uh, there's a lot of options when bad things happen to us in life. Uh, one option that we often overlook, uh, and it wasn't included in this question, but uh, people don't want to consider it, uh, a lot of really bad things in life, in fact, maybe even a majority of them that happen to us, are self-inflicted. Uh, we cause them ourselves. Now, I'm not saying this viewer falls into this category, uh, but a lot of things bad that happen to us are the result of our bad choices. Uh, this viewer mentioned health problems. Well, somebody that has a real bad diet, uh, that ingests things that they shouldn't ingest chemically or whatever, probably going to have health problems, uh, housing problems, uh, 
some people squander their money. They don't save. They waste money. Uh, <clears throat> and they end up having financial problems. So uh, a lot of bad things in life are caused by our choices. We're self-inflicted. Now, the viewer didn't mention that option, but I thought I'd throw that in for you. Uh, what our viewer said was, it's God's will or is Satan causing it? Okay. Uh, God's will is something we could discuss at great length. Let's put it this way. Uh, God allows things to happen that are not necessarily his will. He, he doesn't want them to happen, uh, but he'll, some of those bad choices I was talking about. He doesn't want you to have a bad health. He doesn't want you to have bad finances. In fact, his book uh, gives you the key to abundant life. If you follow his principles, uh, you'll do better in life. Uh, so he doesn't will it, but he will allow it. He'll let you suffer the uh, consequences of bad choices. And because we live in a fallen world, that bad things happen to good people. It's just life. Life isn't fair. That's the, the not a happy answer, but it's the answer sometimes. Now, the other option is, does Satan cause things? And we're not told exactly the limits of Satan's uh, power, or what he can do and what he can't do. We have the story of Job where uh, God allowed him to uh, cause problems in Job's life, very bad problems in Job's life. So at least then he was capable of that. Uh, how much he's been bound since Jesus won on the cross, we don't know. But uh, I think, yes, Satan can cause some things to happen. I do know this for sure. When bad things happen, maybe they're just uh, happenings of life. When bad things happen, Satan will use them to discourage you. Uh, he'll use them to tempt you to do wrong. Uh, he'll use them to uh, try to get you to forsake God and not trust God. So uh, Paul talked about that. Paul said at one point in his ministry, uh, he was given more than he could bear. He, he thought he was going to die. But then he comes back and he says, that was happened to me so I would trust God. Uh, the more life seems to treat us unfairly, the more we're forced to trust God. So I uh, hope some of that puts it all together for you. There are lots of reasons bad things happen. Uh, Satan wants you to give up trusting God. and uh, God hopes that whatever happens to you, you'll just trust him more. So hope hope that gives you a little clue there. Okay. Uh, next question is about something someone heard. I heard that Joseph divorced Mary and married again, and fathered six children. Well, there's that may be something you heard. There's not any biblical support for it. Uh, we don't get any indication of. I've answered uh, before about uh, some theories about what happened to Joseph, and my view of it probably he died. We don't have a book, chapter, verse, but uh, as far, near as we can tell, as long as he was with uh, Mary, he was faithful, and they had uh, other children, of course, besides Jesus. Uh, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this might be maybe a case of uh, someone misunderstanding Scripture uh, because jo- Joseph certainly did consider divorcing Mary uh, privately, quietly, uh, because he assumed that she had been unfaithful to him. Uh, it would be a logical assumption. Uh, but the angel intervenes and says, no, uh, Mary's on the up and up. She's uh, pure and, and all of that. She's not been unfaithful. This is something from God. This is very special. You marry her, and uh, this is something that in God's divine plan is going to work out. So he did consider doing that before, but he did go to take her as his wife, uh, and they went on to have other children together. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 to 25, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And um, we know from other scriptures, Matthew chapter 13, verse, 30, verse 55, uh, they said, Is this not the carpenter's son? So people knew Jesus. They knew Mary was his mother. They knew Joseph, uh, they presumed was his, presumed was his biological father. Um, but the, he, the Joseph had raised him uh, and uh, uh, taught him the trade of carpentry. So Joseph was in the picture and involved. And um, they did have other children. Um, if you put some scriptures together, they at least had seven. Um, and so, anyway, there, there were more children involved, but uh, near as we can tell, Joseph stayed in the picture uh, up and up for some time. So, I hope that helps. Right, let me talk just a moment about a way to study the Bible. Uh, we study it a little bit here with you each week, and hopefully you uh, check some of our answers out and make sure we got them from the Bible. But... There's more to Bible study than just answering a few questions, and we advocate home Bible study. We want people studying their Bible because it's God's Word, and it's good for us. Uh, We've got some tools that help you do that. If you want to get started in our regular uh, Bible study and form a habit of Bible study, maybe here's a course of eight lessons that just introduces you to the Bible. It's a great, great way to start. And then we've got some other courses that get a little more detailed and Uh, take you through the life of Christ and the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, and lots of interesting things from the Bible. So all good studies. Uh, We've also got some online studies that we're happy to share with you for absolutely no charge. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. Give them a little information, and they'll get you set up in the system to study the Bible online. Great way to learn the Bible. Get a lot of help from uh, some of our study helpers that will be there to answer any extra questions you have. So all of these are great ways to study the Bible. Phone number and a website, bottom of the screen. Use those anytime. Uh, let us know what you'd like to study, and we'll get you started in a good Bible study. All right, viewer wants to know about the sons of God in Genesis 6, 1 and 2. Are the sons of God angels who married humans? Okay, this is a common uh, story. Uh, let's read it from Genesis 6 and then see if we can figure it out. Genesis 6, 1 and 2 says, uh, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. All right, now, some people read that. 
and say, well, sons of God must be angels. And so angels, fallen angels, most likely, they, I guess, uh, <laughs> fallen angels, uh, came down and well, they were on the earth already and they started marrying humans and having <coughs> having children. Okay, uh, and some people think that's exactly what that means. Uh, another option is, if we remember what the story of Genesis is, that Cain killed Abel, and uh, then Cain's offspring uh, became the bad people, for want of a better term, and Seth, who replaced Abel, Seth's people became godly people. Uh, so some people say, well, that's talking about the sons of God, uh, Seth's line. And they began at some point, even though they began as the godly people, the righteous people, uh, they began to intermarry with the daughters of Cain or the descendants of Cain, the wicked people. Okay, so uh, the trick is we don't know which it means. The uh, Bible nowhere mentions this anywhere else, doesn't talk about it anywhere else. So it's one of those things that we just don't know. Uh, the only thing we have to go on is there is no proof that fallen angels ever had sex and married uh, human women and had children of some sort. Uh, there is no evidence that angels are even able or capable of human reproduction. Uh, we just don't know that. Of course, some people say, well, fallen angels possessed men and they had sex with other uh, humans and produced these uh, bad offspring. So we don't know. Uh, I think it's more likely that it's the, the, the good descendants married the wicked descendants and uh, started all kinds of problems, which ended up with the flood, by the way. Things got so bad that God ended it. So possible. We just don't have any indication either way that one or the other is more likely. So best I can do on that one. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh person asks kind of a moral question. How do you explain God's drowning innocent babies during the flood? All right. Well, uh, uh, the flood is a terrible thing when you think about it. I know a lot of <laughs> parents uh, de decorate uh, their nursery with uh, pictures of Noah and the ark and all the animals. And that sort of <laughs> misses there. There's a, another part of that story which is pretty tragic. And I don't mean to make light of it, but it is a heavy story. And the reason that God dealt so severely uh, with the entire world, and you would include little babies in that, uh, is because of the evil and the wickedness and the depravity that had uh, grown into that world that he had created. In fact, Scripture describes it for us. Let's look at it in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, and man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, the answer to your question, uh, if, as near as I can answer any question about how do I explain God, 
Uh, God's God. God does what he wants. God's sovereign. God's will will happen. Uh, it's God's divine right to uh, wipe out everyone on the earth. He didn't have to save Noah or his family. Uh, but because of his love and his mercy and his grace, uh, there was one that did fi find favor, uh, evil, even in a world of depravity. Teaches us a couple of things about God. Number one, God is just. Okay, God is perfectly just. May not seem right to us. May seem like, oh, gosh, these little babies and they didn't surely couldn't have committed this wickedness. How could they be punished uh, just as everyone else was? Uh, we don't know, but the world that, uh, that, that, that of that time was very evil. The scripture is very clear that it grieved God to his heart. Uh, there had been a lot of wickedness in the Bible, and it never got to a point where it grieved God to his heart. Uh, so it was bad, and probably worse than we can even imagine. Um, God, there might have been a, a world of mercy in that act from not allowing little children to have to grow up in such a world. We don't know. We can't fully explain. I'm not trying to do that. Uh, God's God, and God always makes the right decision. But from a scriptural answer, uh, the world was full of wickedness, and God really, uh, not just what he was doing in the flood, was washing it clean. Uh, getting rid of all the evil and the wickedness and depravity. And even in the midst of his justice, you also see an act of grace. Noah found favor. And uh, this tells us that God not only is just God, but he's looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Uh, so he's not capricious. He's not uh, a tyrant. He's a loving God who wants what's best for us. Hope that helps. All right. Why does the Church of Christ call itself non-denominational? Well, this program is produced by the Churches of Christ and uh, supported by Churches of Christ. So uh, our viewer understands that or knows that and knows that we call ourselves non-denominational. viewer says, why? Well, two reasons. Number one, we believe we are non-denominational. Uh, we don't have the signs of a denomination. Uh, denominations have headquarters. They have creeds. They set themselves apart. Uh, and we don't do that. So we believe we are non-denominational uh, in general. A second reason, the biggest reason, is we want to be non-denominational because you don't read about denominations in the Bible. Uh, you can't find a certain group of Christians, a certain kind of Christians, a certain brand of Christians that separate themselves and call themselves this church versus this church. Now that's what denominate means, to name yourself and set yourself apart. Denominate, uh, you're different than others. It usually starts over a disagreement. Uh, this group is together, and they disagree over some doctrine or some teaching, and so uh, this one denotes, denominates themselves as the, the new order. Uh, this one stays to the old order, and there, there we have a denomination. So uh, we want to be non-denominational. Uh, we've got some principles. We, we try to speak where the Bible speaks. Uh, we try to be silent where the Bible's silent. Uh, we try to do Bible things in Bible ways. We just want to be New Testament Christians. Uh, in fact, that's why we call ourselves Churches of Christ. Uh, because that's a biblical term where uh, the church that belongs to Christ. Uh, let's look at where we find that, Romans 16, 16. Uh, Paul put it this way, all the churches of Christ greet you. 
So he indicated that little groups of Christians were churches, were congregations that belonged to Christ. And uh, that's what we hope to be. In fact, let me just illustrate that by greeting a couple of churches of Christ. We like to thank a few each week. Uh, today, let me thank the churches in Sylvia and Isabel, Kansas. Uh, they are groups of Christians that meet in the Sylvia area and the Isabel area, and they just want to be New Testament Christians. Uh, they call themselves a church of Christ. And uh, they just try to follow the Bible and do what the Bible says in Bible ways. Uh, we understand that, so we fellowship in a way with them. But there's no uh, hierarchy. There's no uh, uh, headquarters that tells us we have to or how we have to. Uh, that's what non-denominational means. We're autonomous. We're all separate. So hope that illustrates a little bit what... Uh, non-denominational means to us in the churches of Christ. All right, a question about a specific scripture. Where is the scripture that says no man can tell you what to eat or drink? Well, you are quoting from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, which says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so to give you a little context of what uh, Paul is talking about, writing about to the church at Colossae here, uh, the first century church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. And Jewish, Jews uh, had come out of observing the law, very strict set of rules concerning the Sabbath, concerning what you could eat, what you could drink. And uh, they were mixed with a bunch of Gentiles who weren't familiar with those rules. And so here are these people mixed together in the body of Christ. And Paul is making the case, listen, in Christ, you are free from those rules. You will not be declared righteous by observing the law. That's not how this works. And so don't let anybody judge you. If you want to keep the Sabbath, all right. If you want to follow the list of rules about dietary restrictions, that's okay. But don't uh, infor, uh, demand that others do that. And don't, don't judge people if they don't observe it or not. So uh, that's the context, and that's where the verse is found in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, about our freedom in Christ. All right. Viewer wants to know what does double-tongued mean, and I can tell right away that he's been reading First Timothy because that's, as far as I know, the only place that term is used. First Timothy three eight, talking about deacons and what they're supposed to be like. It says deacons likewise should be dignified, not double-tongued. Well, double-tongued just means two-faced, uh, hypocritical saying one thing to somebody and one thing to somebody else. Um, so deacons should speak the truth, should not be double-tongued. They should speak with one uh, one voice, and if they say it, they should mean it, uh, not being hypocritical and talking different to different people. That's all double-tongued means, but it is a term we don't use much today, so thanks for asking. All right, we've got a uh, trivia question we want to get answered today before we quit. Uh, this one is, who wrote more of the Bible, Moses or Paul? Well, uh, the answer is Moses. And uh, some people say, now hold it, Paul wrote 12 books or so. That's a lot more than Moses. Moses only wrote five books. Uh, well, Moses' books were longer. So <laughs> if you count by words, Moses wrote them 
bulk or more of the Bible than Paul did. Paul wrote the most books of anybody, uh, but Moses wrote more words. Glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week and answer some, hear some more of your questions answered. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.